Our scripture today first is out of Exodus chapter 20, verse 16, and then we'll flip over to James chapter 3, read verses 1 through 10, as we are on week 9 of 10 of our Ten Commandments series. And so first, we read out of Exodus 20, verse 16, it says, You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. And then out of James chapter 3, verses 1 through 10. Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers and sisters, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness, for all of us make many mistakes. Anyone who makes no mistakes in speaking is perfect, able to keep the whole body in check with a bridle. If we put bits into the mouths of horses to make them obey us, we guide their whole bodies. Or look at ships, though they are so large that it takes strong winds to drive them, yet they are guided by a very small rudder wherever the will of the pilot directs. So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great exploits. How great a forest is set ablaze by a small fire, and the tongue is a fire. The tongue is placed among our members as a world of iniquity. It stains the whole body, sets on fire the cycle of nature, and is, its, and is itself set on fire by hell. For every species of beast and bird, of reptile and sea creature, can be tamed and has been tamed by the human species, but no one can tame the tongue, a restless evil full of deadly poison. With it we bless the Lord and Father, and with it we curse those who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers and sisters, this ought not to be so. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Lord, open our hearts and minds by the power of your Holy Spirit. Lord, as scripture is read and word is proclaimed, help us hear with joy what you say to us this day in your name. Amen. We continue our sermon series again today on the Ten Commandments called Ten. And it's where we're looking at each of the Ten Commandments as presented by uh, God to Moses in Exodus. And then we are correlating that with the New Testament scripture and how it is still relevant and applicable to us today. And today we're on the Ninth Amendment you should not bear fault. Ninth Amendment. Ninth Commandment. <laughs> yes, my brain is that scattered this morning, y'all. <laughs> uh, the Ninth Commandment, uh, thou shalt not bear false witness against your neighbor. One of the uh, games that I used to play with young youth, and, and we, we, we did this, uh, I remember doing this actually in a PE class at school one time, and I've even done it with adults just to prove a point. There's a game called Telephone. And it's a game where one person will start uh, on one end of the room and they will whisper a phrase or a saying into someone's ear. And the object of the game is to go down the line and whisper the same phrase into the person's ear beside you. And it's got to make its way all the way around to everybody. And by the time it comes back to the person who started it, see how much it's changed as it goes through the line. Because let me assure you, no matter the ages of the participants, it never is the same when it comes back around. Have you ever played that game or are familiar with the idea? It's very interesting how our words are affected by our own humanity. 
the ninth commandment, as we have said, says, you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. Now, what I've been doing is, is looking at these uh, commandments as they were written and commanded to Moses and to the people of ancient Israel. And so, when it was spoken to Moses, the way that it was used in the context of ancient Israel, it actually was not saying specifically at the time, you shall not lie, which is how we use it today. It was specifically given to prohibit false testimony or perjury in a trial or a court setting. That's the specific basis behind uh, this commandment when it was given. In ancient Israel, courts and trials were not the formal settings that they are today. Most crimes um, in ancient Israel were committed by locals or neighbors or usually by people that others knew well. It was actually very rare for a crime to be committed against someone by a foreigner or someone that they did not know um, other than crimes of circumstance. Um, but typically, particularly like thefts and things of that nature, it was usually from within someone's own spheres of influence. And so there were no police to call. There was no 911 to call in ancient Israel uh, to report the crime to, to, to have an investigation done. So if you were the victim of a crime, the onus was on you to do the investigation, the research, and to bring charges against those to whom you could prove committed the crime. Does it make sense? You with me? So the accuser and the accusee would then come before a group of town elders or town leaders. They would present their case to that group of town leaders, and the case typically was comprised of a group of witnesses. Okay, so whenever they, you, you hear the expression, star witness, well, that's really all they had in ancient Israel was witnesses to testify to what they witnessed or what they saw to the events. And decisions upon uh, guiltiness or innocence of crimes was typically made upon the eyewitness account given in front of these town elders. So to lie or to commit perjury during these trials was a major deal because it often meant the difference between a guilty and a non-guilty verdict. And many verdicts that were found guilty either ended up a sentence of exile or oftentimes death. To commit perjury was almost like saying you're sentencing someone to death. So it was a big deal for them to tell the truth in ancient Israel. Are you with me this morning? Say amen. amen. So the question then becomes, how does this apply to me? I don't plan on lying in court. I don't plan on committing perjury. I just don't plan on doing it. So how does that apply to me? Well, as we've seen throughout this series, Jesus has a unique way of expanding upon the commandments in his own way, that is still very relevant for us today. He expanded on the meaning and changed the narrative. Listen to a scripture that we've read once already in this series, but we're going to read it again today because it's applicable. It's Matthew chapter 5, verses 33 through 37. 
Matthew 5, 33-37, the words of Jesus say, Again, you have heard that it was said to those of ancient times, You shall not swear falsely, but carry out the vows you have made to the Lord. But I say to you, do not swear at all, either by heaven, for it is the throne of God, or by the earth, for it is the footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not swear by your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black. Let your word be yes, yes, or no, no. Anything more than this comes from the evil one. So we use this scripture before when we were talking about the third commandment, which is do not use the Lord your God's name in vain. And, and we define, define it a little bit more, but I want to use it in the context for which we are uh, speaking of today. Something else we learned last week that's also applicable today is this. Our unique ability to speak, to communicate with words, is a creation and is a gift of God. Our unique abilities as humans is a special, unique creation that was designed by, gifted by, and still belongs to God. Therefore, we are called to only use our words in a way that God designed them to be used. We are to use them to speak honestly and to speak truthfully. And when we use our words for any purpose other than the way that they were created to be used, a way that comes only from God, when we do not use them in that way, Jesus is saying they do not come from my Father, who is the creator of these abilities, but they come straight from the devil. So when we do not use them the way that they are designed to be used, when we lie, when we manipulate others, when we, we, then we are guilty of breaking the ninth commandment. We are guilty of stealing from God because these gifts, these abilities to communicate belong to God. So last week we talked about when we do not use them in a way they're meant to be used, we are stealing from God. And when we use our words in a way that do not reflect positively upon God, then we are also using God's name in vain. Do you see the interconnectedness of all the commandments, it really comes to light a lot in this commandment. Who knew the commandment that says don't, don't lie was really this gigantic interconnection of all of the, of, or many of the other commandments that we have talked about? This is the reason Jesus was able to summarize all ten commandments in just two simple phrases. So which has become the base and the foundation for this series. Jesus said the greatest commandment you can do is love the Lord your God and love your neighbor as yourself. These summarize and fulfill all of the commandments. We see yet again then in this message today, in, in the commandments today, that our words 
and the way that we use them matters. It matters to God and it matters to our neighbors. You know, something else I've realized uh, that old sayings have become a vital part of this series for me. <laughs> and so I'm going to use another one here today. Have you ever heard the old adage, sticks and stones may break my bones, but folks, we were wrong again. <laughs> we were wrong again. Scripture doesn't like this adage either. Because words can, in fact, be the most destructive force that we possess. G uh, James is one of my favorite books to read in all of Scripture. You want to know why? Because he is so blunt and to the point. It's so in your face. It just makes sense. To me, it just comes right off the page because, hey, it takes after my own heart. Don't, he doesn't mince words. He doesn't beat around the bush. Just come out and say it, right? James, in fact, does that very well. In fact, so much so, I love how the message version of the Bible, which is a paraphrase of Scripture written by Dr. Eugene Peterson, I like how he writes this passage out of James today, so I want you to hear it. So this is out of the message, James chapter 3, 1 through 10, out of the message translation. This is what we hear. Don't be in any rush to become a teacher, my friends. Teaching is highly responsible work. Teachers are held to the strictest standards. None of us is perfectly qualified. We get it wrong nearly every time we open our mouths. If you could find someone whose speech was perfectly true, you'd have a perfect person in perfect control of life. A bit in the mouth of a horse controls the whole horse. A small rudder on a huge ship in the hands of a skilled captain sets a course in the face of the strongest winds. A word out of your mouth may seem of no account, but it can accomplish nearly anything or destroy it. Hello? It only takes a spark, remember, to set off a forest fire. A careless or wrongly placed word out of your mouth can do that. By our speech, we can ruin the world turn harmony to chaos, throw mud on a reputation, send the whole world up in smoke and go up in smoke with it. Smoke right from the pit of hell. This is scary. You can tame a tiger, but you can't tame a tongue. It's never been done. The tongue runs wild, a wanton killer. With our tongues, we bless God our Father. With the same tongues, we curse the very men and women He made in His image. Curses and blessings out of the same mouth, my friends, this can't be so. This can't be so. Or this can't go on, as he says. I would have loved to have known James, the half-brother of Jesus, in person. I think he and I would have gotten along very well because he just says it like it is. But he uses metaphors just like Jesus did in this today. And, and, and there's, there's, uh, he piles them on top of each other to illustrate just how powerful the tongue is. And, 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 and the tongue he uses here as a metaphor in and of itself of our words. And so the three that stand out the most, we'll go through these quickly, but I want you to hear these and why they're important today are, the, are these. The first is a bridled horse. 
And Kate and the girls are in Lake Charles with her parents today, but I really need her to help explain this because she gives horse lessons and trains horses, so she would be way more qualified to explain this than I would be. But in my understanding, a bridle is used to control, or it has a bit that you insert into the horse's mouth, and we use that to control the entire animal. We can control its actions, its direction, start, stop, by maneuvering this device that coincidentally is pressing against the horse's tongue. When we control the horse's tongue, we control the horse. The second metaphor he speaks of is a ship's rudder. And, and he uses it very similarly to that of the bridle before. But now he introduces another aspect. We see the introduction of outside forces. The wind and the waves, the weather, which try to shift the boat in a direction other than the way that we're trying to direct it. Our tongue is a rudder directing our ship the outside world will use forces to try to direct it in a way that we don't want to use it. And the final metaphor he uses that is a spark that causes a forest fire. You notice he doesn't, it's, it, it's the spark itself. Do I, do I need to use an illustration to, to talk about how destructive a forest fire can be? Or do we all get it? <laughs> We know just how destructive and out-of-control fire, especially in a dry forest, can be. But notice the difference between this metaphor from the others. The first two indicate some degree of control over the result. However, in the case of the fire, we have no control over the devastation that is unleashed once the spark has taken over. And once we do manage to put out the fire, the trail of destruction that it leaves is not only evident, but sometimes incomprehensible. Our words, folks, have a lasting impact in our lives and in the lives of others. We can use them to praise God. We can use them to worship. We can use them to teach righteousness. We can use them to empower. We can use them to build up. Or we can use the same tongue to blaze a trail of destruction. To quote James, that ought not be so, especially amongst God's children. How are we using our tongues when we use our words against our neighbors? Then we are also using them against God. All right, Pastor, what's the good news? You always sum it up with good news. 
But you know what? There is good news. Are you ready? There is good news. Because God is so good. Almost. God is so good that Satan, not then, not now, not ever, will have the last word. That does require an amen. God had the last word in the battle against sin and evil, and that last word is Jesus. God will have the last word again one day, and that last word will be eternity with Jesus. The good news is when our words are used by Satan, God can still use us. And God never, not now, no ever, no ever, no ever, will ever give up on us. Because we matter that much to God. That's the good news. I want to close this out today, and I want you to hear uh, what the Heidelberg Catechism says about this. I love uh, using this resource, this commentary that was written many years ago on, on the Ten Commandments, because I also think it speaks very plainly what we are expected. In fact, it introduces each one by saying this. The words are, uh, what does, this, what does uh, God require of me in the Ninth Commandment? And this is it. I must not give false testimony against anyone. Twist no one's words, not gossip nor slander, nor condemn or join in condemning anyone rashly and unheard. Rather, I must avoid all lying and deceit as the devil's own works, under penalty of God's heavy wrath. In court and everywhere else, I must love the truth. Speak and confess it honestly and do what I can to defend and promote my neighbor's honor and reputation. That's what God requires out of us in the ninth commandment. And that is the gospel message. Glory be to the Father, to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit. Amen.